Hi, Philip. Thank you very much for um, joining us for our podcast. Actually, it's our final podcast. So we're really looking forward to, you know, you sharing your experiences and kind of giving us an overview of how your services work in regards to the offenders pathway around personality disorder. Would you like to introduce yourself? Thanks, Danny. Yeah. So my name is Phil Manudis. I'm a uh, clinical psychologist by training. I've worked uh, sort of exclusively in offend- the offender personality disorder services as they're, as they're known for the last uh, 12 years or so. And I work in partly in an inpatient service, a medium secure service in East London. Uh, and that's for people who've committed offences uh, and who are on a sentence and they get transferred to a hospital uh, setting for a portion of their sentence. And I work in the community with people who've been released from uh, prison or hospital uh, secure settings. And we run services to help people stabilise and we offer interventions in the community as well. Oh, wow. That sounds really, really interesting. That's brilliant. So we are going to discuss a little bit about reducing stigma today. It's quite a very important subject and topic. If you would like to start from maybe give us a bit of information on what you've been doing or your team, um, what you've been doing in regards to helping to reduce stigma around personality disorder. Sure. I mean, just to reiterate that point that you said it's that it's the you know what our, our team or group of services do um yes. very much and um and also the wider opd pathway i i guess what they're doing because that informs our service provision as well and i think it's worth saying from the outset that the opd program doesn't promote the diagnosis and diagnosis isn't necessary Uh, for admission or entry into the pathway and instead they prefer a description of traits or characteristics so we look at indications of uh, difficulties Uh, so I think that's one thing that's helpful in terms of reducing the reliance on uh, diagnosis as an entry criterion for services but also in addition the OPD pathway stresses formulation led management and approaches to um, interventions and that formulations are co-constructed with service users so that's coming to a shared understanding between the professional and the service user about what the problems might be where they originated from and the kind of impact that they might have and having a joint plan about how to work on those issues hopefully i mean the intention is that that empowers the individual to make changes themselves and to work closely with services to improve their you know their uh, their difficulties yeah that sounds really really good i am also a part of the um, opd pathway um i've only been been on the on part of the group um for not a couple of months now and yeah it's very very interesting um, oh, so fantastic. it's really, really interesting, you know, hearing the kind of work that, you know, you're all doing, because I've only started on the OPD not too long ago. So hearing you describe and break that down, that's really, really helpful. Um, and I'm now looking forward to being a part of that a bit more. Yeah, please. I mean, we have quite an active service user forum and service user involvement service, which um, we 
very much like you to be involved in as well if you if you would like Brilliant. to. I mean, you know, we do reference the OPD pathway a lot, and I think it's worth saying that the language used in when personality disorder services across the board, but um, including offender PD services, is still a bit behind the times. And obviously, we still use that term personality disorder and services still rely on that quite heavily. But there are movements to try and change that. And I don't know if you've if you've seen, but the latest edition of the working with people who are in the criminal justice system yeah, system who yeah. have personality difficulties has tried to change the yeah. uh, the terminology that's used. And there are slow steps in in that in that direction. And I think more broadly, um, within mental health transformation, for example, trying to use the term complex emotional needs rather than personality disorder. Yeah. yeah. Definitely, no, I agree with that. Um, and there's always a stigma, isn't there, around people, diagnosis and names of diagnosis. And I guess there's a little bit of a loophole there because some people would not want to have that diagnosis as well. I mean, absolutely. Not. I don't know if that's across the board. So not everyone, that service user and staff included, wouldn't yeah. necessarily reject the term personality disorder. They um, would. I, I don't well I think there's different mm. different views on it from staff yeah. and from service users I think regardless of the individual beliefs or understanding about the term there's something more important about uh, the impact of personality disorder as a, as a diagnosis I don't know if that's something we should talk about a little bit here but would be yeah that would be a good idea we could say talk a little bit about that because um there is work in the prisons I've noticed that and recognized the staff and the mental health teams and and the healthcare department I work with you know they're very fixated on the diagnosis the name of the diagnosis to inform their their practice I guess better Um, and then speaking with some of the prisoners they are very reluctant they have said to me some of them about having a diagnosis so it's it's a bit of a struggle I think because I personally I would like to see more of that partnership working like you mentioned with the services working with the service users in partnership I think that's a really big thing that that needs to happen and focusing on the individual as well not just on the diagnosis and like you said the impact that it is having on the individual yeah yeah so I definitely agree I would say definitely agree that I would like to see more partnership working and the services offering I would say impartial um, advice to you know the clients or service users but it's still very hard when some of the psychologists and mental health nurses have their own fixation and their own mindset on what personality disorder is and that could somehow impact on the, the services that we are providing to service users. Absolutely, it does. I mean, I think it's difficult in many ways, isn't it, that the term at a very basic level, the labels are negative. It was described in, I mean, back in 2003, you know, personality disorder, no longer a diagnosis of exclusion. Yes. Um, some policy guidance, it described it as a very sticky label. In that it, it hangs around you know and it stays with the person and when it's noted in files it's assumed um, to still be true and that it's unlikely that it would change and that's really out of step with 
the current evidence uh, about the uh, how dynamic personality is in fact and much less stable than people um, initially thought. But I also think because you're talking about the impact of diagnosis in the criminal justice system and there's something implicit about the way professionals attach blame and responsibility for people personality disorder and that's really quite different to how they think about people with mental illness. Yes, yes, I totally agree. Yeah, Definitely. with mental illness there's an assumption that that um, impacts on the capacity to make decisions and yes. therefore you're less responsible for your behaviour. That's right. And you see it in criminal justice disposals and perhaps rightly so that um, the criminal justice system is the first to uh, to deal with um, offending for people. Yes. With a diagnosis of personality disorder. But I think notions of responsibility for behaviour just aren't that straightforward personality. And there's strong evidence to, to indicate that people with personality difficulties are compromised in their, their higher order cognitive functioning. Yes. Impacts on their capacity to weigh decisions. That's right. And so to have a very basic or rudimentary judgment about responsibility and blame, mm. I think impacts on how professionals tolerate the behaviour that they see and it can be challenging behaviour. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, but definitely. often it's associated with very negative surface explanations of behaviour, you know, attention seeking, manipulative, a drama queen um, are all typical uh, phrases that are, uh, yeah. <laughs> are attached. But it, they all imply that the negative behaviour is intentional. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And That's what I'm say. Yeah. Not yeah. under someone's control. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it'd be good to see a few more services. I think, like obviously the, uh, the ones that we're doing, the o, um, OPD pathway. But I don't sometimes feel that there is enough services, and especially in the two prisons that I'm working, I would like to see more, more services. Definitely in terms of supporting the mental health. Yeah, it's it's been a really big eye opener. I'm, I'm not going to lie, it really has, because hearing things, you will hear things in meetings and handovers and things like that. You get a sense of you know, or that one's a bit, he's a bit troublesome. Right. You know? And I kind of feel that sometimes the ones who do have a diagnosis of if it's personality disorder or borderline personality disorder, that they are tend to blame their illness on the behaviour. Um, and then the person goes into that lockdown for um, segregation. And then that also then impacts on their mental well-being while they're there. So you know, there is that question of how many people will be coming into prisons presenting with personality disorder, um, how many people come into prison not knowing that they have personality disorder, and how many people get diagnosed in prison with personality disorder. In your experience, what do you think? Uh, in terms of the numbers that get diagnosed, mm -hmm. so, you know, there's an often quoted study from back in 1998 that suggests yeah. the very high numbers of people in prison yeah. and remand prisoners uh, that far exceeds the general population uh, proportions. Mm. So they would suggest, you know, there's um, 60 to 70 percent of people in prison on remand or sentenced yeah. would meet criteria for a, um, a personality disorder and that that's you know, a huge proportion compared to those you would expect to find in the general population. And there's some, you know, some challenge to, to that idea mm. that 
it's a circular diagnosis, that it's a response to context that exaggerates people's response to uh, situations. Right. But the, um, the way a diagnosis should be made is that, that it should be evident across contexts. So it should be pervasive and not uh, dependent on a, a single context like prison. And I'm not sure that those old studies really take that um, into account and probably exaggerate the, the figures. Yeah. OK, well, that was a really high percentage though back then in 1998. That was quite high. It is. <laughs> it, may, it does make you think. Oh, yeah. Um, OK, in terms of that's, I guess, coming from a clinician's point of view, in mm. terms of reducing stigma in workplaces, do you have any views on that in terms of in teams? When you're in your team, is there like a stigma? Somebody meant talks about a client that's got personality disorder. What does the other members of the team kind of, how do they respond to that? So I'll give you an example. I was really surprised working for such a large mental health organisation that during our team meetings and reflective practice that they the, would really, really talk badly of people with personality disorder. And that was quite concerning. And especially for me, I've I've have personality disorder. So for me, sitting in those meetings month after month, hearing them go, oh, that tenant or oh, personality disorder, don't don't really want to trouble them. They're a bit violent. And I mean, so there can be also stigma within the workplace as well. Absolutely, there can. And what permits us as professionals mainly to uh, to make those kind of value judgments about individuals. And there's something in particular to personality disorder that enables that process to happen, in my view. I mean, the word disorder, the term disorder, implies difference or discontinuity with normal yeah. experience, right? So it classifies people into another ca category on the basis of their personality. Yeah. So that gives a sense of otherness and it's dehumanising of a person. It sort of divests them of any positive characteristics. Yes. And I think that can permit maltreatment that you wouldn't ordinarily countenance for others that you consider your equal. Which is quite sad, I guess. Um, and definitely where they promote equal opportunities in workplaces, then they are very much encouraging people to announce if they have a disability or a mental health or a learning difficulty. But I think sometimes it can be also a bit damaging on the person or the employee for them to disclose that. So, for example, in my circumstances, I eventually, after a few years, decided I was going to bite the bullet mm. and actually tick that box um, and tell my HR about that I do have a disability, mental health. And I was very open about the that it was personality disorder. Um, and I think within a couple of months, it was already thrown back in my face. It was, you know, oh, you're having an outburst, Danny, you know, and it's like, and that was quite, that was quite, that can be quite challenging for anyone really um not wanting to really disclose that they have such like you said the word disorder in itself is kind of like se separation from mm. us you know from the norm it is a challenge and i think stigma is not just also within services and you know with looking at uh, from a professional clinician side also i think in a lot of other working environments where we are working with people with personality disorder there is so much lack of training and i guess 
with lack of training that's lack of understanding and awareness so people can be quite ignorant still because they don't know no better maybe i think there is something in that but also in in, in the the use of the word personality in personality disorder mm. it implies a global assessment of personhood yeah it's almost suggesting that the entire being is defective yeah um so in a way i suppose what a what right do we as as professionals or as one person to another even yeah. um, to make that kind of judgment but it it also means that you judge behavior like you were saying um any behavior is attributed to the uh, to the whole person and to the the difficulty and and so it, i think it facilitates that that process of judgment and continuing criticism of uh, of individuals yeah definitely yeah. definitely you know lots has written about the problems of re reliability of pd diagnoses as discrete categories but they're based on an outdated understanding of of personality development and we know much more about how trauma affects development of social cognitive functioning now you know adverse experiences deprive people of the opportunities or the necessary conditions to develop healthy maturation of personality functioning, normal functioning in inverted commas. And they're the building blocks that give us control over our emotions, uh, for example. But that's a, an essential difference between implying one's personality predisposes disorder rather than the environment stifling opportunity for healthy personality development. Yeah, yeah. It's a very different thing. And I think you attribute blame and responsibility on that on that basis. And there is a growing understanding of the impact of trauma and abuse on, on personality functioning. But I, th I don't think current theories go far enough to explain individual difference as it relates to the expression of trauma and adversity yeah. and instead continues to assign a disordered personality. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's really helpful to hear that, though, even just personally for myself. But I definitely know for the listeners as well, that will be really, really, um, yeah, it's vital. And it's so refreshing to like to be able to talk to you and hear that, you know, you are on that right path of reducing stigma and definitely the work that you're doing with the prison, with the OPD pathway as well. And I, I think that's a good place to start, you know, and definitely start as you know, because we've been talking about young people on our OPD pathway plan um, and looking at how we can prevent people later on in life presenting at prison yeah. with personality disorder. If we can kind of capture that beforehand. And we were, um, we were discussing, you know, definitely with kids coming out of care or yeah. be, who are known to the youth offending service from quite a young age, I think trying to prevent that from happening later on down the line. I think that is so important. It so is. There's some new investment um, from the Mayor's Office for Policing and Crime and helping with transitions of uh, young people from uh, youth to adult services. Yeah. And the pilot project uh, just about to start in Newham. Oh, Our trust, okay. Along with um, LPPR, uh, will be um, delivering with some voluntary sector partners. So them. things are happening. Mm. There's things. There are things happening. Slowly, like, yeah. They said Rome. Rome wasn't built in a day, but it's like we've had to kind of break down all these old theories and all these old perceptions and kind of start building back up 
the foundation back up and yeah it won't be done in a day but we're, I think this is the right path that we're all on definitely and embracing and working with people with lived experience is so important nowadays definitely yeah. and like they say you know we are the experts of our own experiences and I guess it goes to show that people with lived experience can actually function and be a part of a you know a healthy London partnership team I mean that's just in itself you know if that's not reducing stigma then I don't know what it is I think meaningful service user involvement is essential isn't it to um to changing attitudes and um we're certainly trying to introduce more and more of that in our in our yeah. services so yeah. we've I thought it was reasonably pro progressive that we have um service users who co-facilitate some of our groups in the community um so they're seen on equal terms it was actually rather a slow process and um all of us I think we're a bit hesitant about including service users in our in our group supervision for example that we have as part yeah. of group delivery but once it happened yeah it, it just seemed quite natural and worked worked very well I oh, think it's taking that leap yeah. initially um because it is a different way of working but until you try it you may not realize that it, it works better and can, yeah be more helpful. Um, you know some of the attitudes because it's not mm. it's not the same across the board and in mental health generally they're quite a receptive group but yep. uh, other agencies not so much and they might not be as forward thinking in their attitudes towards others particularly those yep. with a diagnosis of personality disorder yeah. we've got an excellent training team and um, our training lead um, developed some training that we've taken to the police uh, to the Met where we give them a, a people who are due to train as jigsaw officers that work with people who've committed sexual offences. Yeah, okay. And deliver some training on um, personality uh, disorder to um, uh, to the police. That's brilliant. Which is really helpful. I don't know if there's other elements of our service provision I haven't mentioned, which I think is quite helpful. A service can be based on you know different philosophies of care. And I think the ethos or the underlying theoretical framework that you choose can have um, a significant impact on uh, how uh, professionals work with the service users in their services. Uh, for example, you know, there are certain theories which promote empowerment and reduce stigma, like trauma-informed care. Yeah. Even we use um, mentalisation-based stances like um, AMBIT, which also promote uh, systems to have a better reflective function and to be able to think more about how they respond to challenging behaviour without reacting in the moment. Right, yeah. Just sort of mirroring the, you know, the intention of the therapies themselves to, to try and improve those kind of social cognitive functions. Oh, that's really good. That is really good. That's brilliant. I wanted to, when we were talking about stigma a little while back, something just popped in my head and I yeah. thought that Stigma can also not just be obviously, you know, in the workplaces and in other institutions, but also among family and friends and your close ones, because if they yeah. kind of have their own personal stigma about personality disorder, mm. yeah, that could impact on the person. Absolutely. Uh, so is are you wondering how do we work with... Yeah, um, if you've got any ideas on how we could... Yeah. I mean, the, within mental health services, mm -hmm. 
there, there should be an assessment with carers to work with them and to bring them into uh, the CPA process to help work with families to offer support uh, as well to families in working with that and to help educate people about the development of uh, problems like this and and I think a better understanding of development of, of difficulties helps um, immensely on people's empathic understanding of the behaviour that they that they see and they become less blaming. Yeah yeah uh, definitely but I still think there's quite a big gap out there of people that may have or do have that diagnosis but don't really want to do anything about it because they made themselves have their own stigma ideas about it their you know their family members or partner could um for an example of somebody I was close to somebody many years back and that person got a diagnosis of personality disorder and went home and shared it with their mother um and the mother's attitude was just oh that's a load of rubbish and that was it and then that poor person who got the diagnosis never really gone to get any support services or help and you know there there are those culture differences that we need to take on board as well cultures and religions that have this kind of you know preconception about mental health in itself when you even got onto a personality disorder just mm. mental health in itself and I am very kind of quite passionate about trying to to get out there and, and educate, like you were saying, educate those that are falling under, you know, the, the because of their culture, because of their religious, you know, beliefs that that they refuse to even think that they have something. So that's kind of something I'm I'm personally a bit passionate because I know sometimes it it can also it be the family or the the people around you that could also have such an impact on you even getting the diagnosis in the first place. Absolutely, and and um and I think there you know you're you're outlining some of the reasons that would prevent people from accessing services or seeking help, and also uh, factors which perpetuate the problem. So services only offer help, you know, an, an average service might offer an hour or two a week to an individual, maybe in, uh, in the community. But the rest of the time, the ongoing environmental impact on the individual continues. So it doesn't take a expert mathematician to, to understand that the yeah. impact yeah. is uh, weighed in, in favour of the perpetuating factors. Yeah. So yeah. working with families can be crucial uh, in helping to affect. <coughs> yeah. I mean, there are some family therapy systemic um, approaches to working with personality um, problems, which can be incredibly helpful. Yeah. So getting families in the room together to talk about the dynamic processes in the system, in the family system, which yeah. have promoted those kinds of difficulties. Uh, and the, the problems don't develop in a vacuum, do they? And uh, I don't think I've ever seen a service user who hasn't had uh, an extremely adverse early life experience. Yeah. And that more than more often than not, that's related to their, their family experience. Would there be anything else you'd like to add that you think might be quite helpful for the listeners, practitioners? I think there's... there's there's lots that we you know we've touched on that we haven't gone into detail about I think um one issue that I know that you were wondering about was where why it's important to address stigma and personality disorder specifically 
um when i saw that in the, it was in the title of the uh, of the podcast i think um it, it made me think of why people say it's not important to change because there is a lot of resistance to it right, um, yes. and in my experience i've seen a, a couple of reasons given in the main one is that you need a diagnosis to access services and for me that that feels like a weak argument because we change admission criteria very easily and we can adapt that without much difficulty and we see that in the OPD pathway you don't need a diagnosis and we're we're uh, we're used to assessing people on the basis of uh, severity of, of difficulties um, not necessarily category but the, the other reason that people put forward as being persuasive is that the necess necessity for um, diagnosis to attract funding for research uh, as a means of helping develop understanding yes. um, and improve effectiveness of treatment um, for personality disorder. And this happened when um, the DSM brought personality disorder into a separate axis in the fourth version, but that was no longer the case with version five. Right. And there's no longer a separate axis. So I don't know if that argument still carries weight in terms of it, in terms of it attracting uh, more funding. But equally, is there enough interest and activity in the field already for that to continue without having to um, to rely on diagnosis per se? But I think above all, like in the mentalization literature, there's a, a really persuasive argument for why uh, addressing stigma is important. And they pointed to studies which suggest that the natural course of borderline personality disorder is approximately seven years, that you see spontaneous remission, people just get better. And yet they contrast that with retrospective studies over a long period of time that suggests in some services, people continue to have problems for 20 years and that their problems have hardly changed or maybe only um, insignificantly. And they suggest this is the um, main authors for mentalization based treatment, mm -hmm. that this is due to iatrogenic harm, that it's harm caused by the professionals in terms of their response to personality difficulties. Yes. Um, and that is what uh, perpetuates the problem and keeps the condition going. And that actually, if you can address the approaches of professionals and the attitudes they have towards personality difficulties, then you can change the course of the uh, disorder, in inverted commas, itself. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I agree with them. Be interesting as well, though, definitely. They do, yeah, it is about their approach and their attitude that they have, isn't it? You know, um, and it's hard, I guess, to change people's uh, mindset and their attitudes and what their beliefs are. Um, so it's good to see that, that that's, there is work that is focusing on that area. Um, how do you feel it's going? Well, actually, there's been a, uh, there's been lots of investment in uh, in different approaches that aren't necessarily interventions themselves, but pro okay. approaches to management of people with personality difficulties. Structured clinical management is one, and it's just training professionals to adapt their uh, response to uh, uh, people with personality difficulties, which uh, can hopefully help with their uh, their access to services and um and also the uh, the way that they work together collaboratively with professionals brilliant yeah um, but it's a slow yeah 
you know changing attitudes and beliefs is 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 hard work without a doubt but it, it absolutely can happen and there are several studies and you know part of the work that we do in the OPD pathway is we constantly train and retrain the staff that we work with and we measure those outcomes in terms of their knowledge and understanding of personality difficulties and also their attitude to people with personality problems yeah. and you see those attitudes change quickly actually over time within six months to a year you can have a big impact on a staff group um so i think there's plenty of reasons to be hopeful definitely oh definitely and that's quite even if it's six to twelve months that's quite a quick turnaround though you know in order to change the way that you think you process something that you've always thought and felt like that most of your life so that's actually quite a positive thing to hear hear yeah. that so it gives it does give you a little sense of hope like you know we can change people's mindsets and their beliefs and you know and hopefully that will enable us to have better access for people with personality disorders, have, you know, better access, better treatment, better support. Um, so I think that's brilliant. If the workforce feel competent, if they feel they're able to do something to help yeah. and they, they feel that they understand the condition, then they're more likely to work with it. If they do, if they do that, then you see that in, the, in, in a change in attitude as well. And so I think just giving people skills and understanding has a knock-on effect of, ch of changing attitudes. Of course, definitely, yeah. More tools to put in the toolbox. Yeah. Oh, that's brilliant. Thank you, Philip. That was brilliant. That was such a great interview and it's been so fruitful to hear, you know, all the great stuff that your services are doing. So thank you so much. And as I said at the beginning, this does conclude our final podcast around raising hope and increasing awareness around personality disorder. Also, a very big thing that we've kind of focused on throughout some of our podcasts is about reducing stigma, which is something I'm so personally passionate about. I've really enjoyed doing these podcasts. I've learned a lot. I've met some really great people and so privileged for them to share their experiences, whether it is, you know, people with lived experience, people who might have come from an offending background. We've spoken to some professionals. We've spoken to charitable organisations that are doing a lot of stuff for the community. And it's just been really, you know, uplifting and very quite personal to me that to know that this is not going to go away, you know, and the fact that we're addressing it now is such a brilliant movement and a step forward. As again, I would say, you know, it is really about increasing our awareness and raising hope because there is hope out there. Um, and I hope everybody, you know, has enjoyed listening to our podcast, being a part of our podcast. And I'd be so grateful if you would like to share the podcast with any of your peers, family and work colleagues. So on that closing, thank you everyone who contributed and participated and let's see where the future goes from here. Thank you. That's from me, Danny. Bye now. <laughs>